Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hello there and welcome back to the podcast. It's Mike and uh, today we're going to call this What's Next? Well, we're going to start with Happy Fourth for those that celebrate same. We wish you and yours a fantastic weekend, and uh, granted, we're still a day away from the weekend, but lots of people take off on Fridays and blend it into Monday this year. Look, as we all know by now, if you uh, have not been hiding under a rock, Brexit has uh, arrived and made its impact known, and what do you know, markets are already bouncing back. Since last Friday, we've seen, well, I guess you could argue a pretty significant shift in many perspectives shared in the media about this topic. Heck, even George Soros has gone from this is Armageddon type thinking on Friday while it was immediately unfolding to almost a slightly positive tilt to the ultimate outcome. He is finally seeing the same light we suggested to you uh, almost immediately, and that was, look, if they leave, it'll probably be better in the end. If it's tough, they'll probably figure out a way to make what they had better and stay. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter a lot. The fact all is that all of this is well down the road, but we can take some confidence in the idea that reactions since the vote will likely push for positive efforts, not negative, no matter what you read in the press. Indeed, the political pressure is going to shift so much that a real exit may never actually happen. We may find that the EU and the UK sit down at the table, they start out being nasty to each other, they make it tough, And then they both realize, you know, all we really need to do is just make better agreements. And then you could probably solve this problem without a, quote, Brexit. What do we take from this? Look, guys, it's not the end of the world. We need to think about planting seeds and long-term trends. Over the last several months, we've been invited to several conferences as speakers to cover the long-term footprint of generations as they unfold ahead here in the U.S. and around the world. I'm always grateful to have that opportunity to share those insights, and as one might expect, it usually gets an uncomfortable chuckle to hear some good news. In fact, we've been hearing bad news for so long, we actually, as a crowd, don't really know what to do with good news anymore. We seem to to doubt it almost immediately, if, if not immediately within days. The facts are found, unfortunately, in the counting of people. Without a steady flow of people moving through dynamic stages of their lives, it's very tough to have an expanding economy. While many may assume that the core growth of the world is centered over in Asia, we would hint a bit differently at the pathway ahead. Sure, there's going to be significant expansion in the Asian part of the world, no doubt. But guess who's the largest immigrant profile coming to the United States today? It's no longer Latinos. It's Asian. But struggles lie ahead as the missing portion, and we're talking half a billion people of China's economy, 
will slowly make itself known in numbers which will not meet higher expectations. The good news? That will not matter in the larger picture. They'll still grow. They just won't grow on fire. Indeed, global perspectives have already begun to shift. Why else do you think so many plants are being built again in the United States? The U.S. is the only developed economy with a generational structure supporting steady and uninterrupted growth for many years to come as the barbell economy continues to flex its muscles. Indeed, we would argue that if one draws a circle starting at the top of Canada, runs around the east side of the U.S., down through Mexico, and then all through South America, and then come back up the Pacific Coast side, back up to Canada, you will have encompassed the part, encompassed the part of the world which will grow most dramatically, economically speaking, probably the fastest ever in the next 5, 10, 20, and 30 years. Again, it's all driven by people, expanding populations, higher education, capacities, and technologies. New tools, new, new dynamics, new productivity. Sure, there's going to be hiccups along the way. You have to have them. You have to have problems to grow. But one can expect the trend in this data to continue. And what do I mean by this data? I'm looking at a picture of the U.S. GDP in trillions of dollars. And I'm staring all the way back to the 80s. And guess what? There were two years in the last 35 that actually went down from the previous year. One, you might have guessed, is 2009. When the entire world came to a screeching halt, by the way, that pause was less than 2% of the previous year's GDP, and it was erased within 12 months. Think about that for a second. Our economy is so powerful, its power so overlooked, that the worst thing we can think of economically in our generation was only able to shave 2% off of our previous year's growth and only able to hold us down for a year. A year. Not the end of the world. Now, when was the other time? The other time was way back in 2003. Only slightly was there a dip, less than 1%. So look, note two things about this. The trend is steady. Some years are slower, some years are faster, but inclusive of all the terrible things we've fretted over. All of them. When I started in this business, our economy was six trillion. Today it's ticking closer to eighteen and a half. Eighteen and a half trillion dollars. Let me give you another big number. Eight point three trillion dollars is sitting in bank accounts earning nothing. So if you think people aren't afraid, start looking at the data. Some good news, a few things. Chicago PMIs hit the highest level since January of 2015 in recent days. Think about that for a second. The terrible fear was, gee, our productivity and manufacturing is going down. Not It was being hampered, as we have said a thousand times. It was being cloaked. Strength was being hidden by the energy sector collapse. 
had to make adjustments. But as we know by now, we can, we can officially breathe a sigh of relief that $26 crude oil, which just months ago was the end of the world, that was before Brexit and right before Zika, the end of the world has not come from cheap oil. In fact, it's back up to the $45 to $50 range. And as the data has shown, that bounce took place almost precisely when we talked about it in the podcast in late January. The range we suspect for markets in this area for years ahead is probably 30 bucks on the low side and about 80 bucks on the high side. Why do we say that? Well, look, there are thousands upon thousands of oil wells that have been frozen in time. They're drilled and ready to be fracked. They're fracked and capped and ready to be uncapped. Thousands of them. You get to the point where oil companies can make a solid profit and you can be assured you will see a yet another new surge in the production of oil coming out of the United States. I read a little piece uh, about a month ago and I wanted to say it. Don't have any special report for you, but I, I read an interesting perspective of the use of foreign oil. And here was that interesting perspective. The perspective was this. The question was, why do we keep importing oil if we can find it here ourselves? And the answer was fascinating. We want to use theirs up first. Think about that for a second. We know we have a ton. In fact, we might have more than Saudi Arabia has. But guess what? If we use everybody else's up first, that puts us in the catbird seat. I'm not saying that's why we're doing it. I'm just saying that's an interesting perspective. Hey, consumers are doing well too. While I'm pretty confident the next few weeks will continue to chop a bit as the Brexit tremors work through the system, and, of course, the media's attention span gets caught by another monster, consumers are still shopping. Though weekly readings shift often, the trend is solid and, good news, up. Over the past three months through May, the three-month average of real personal consumption is up 2.9% year-over-year. It's the best growth since last September. The gain has come from durable goods, which are up 8.1%. That's great non-durable goods, which is up 4.9%, while services lagged a little bit. Why? Services are getting cheaper. The channel of shoppers coming right at us is the largest ever created in the U.S. The better news? That wave is set to keep washing ashore for the next couple of decades. Interestingly, in another positive sign, the Consumer Confidence Index Climbed to 98 in June. Note it's been bouncing around close to its all-time high at 105, reached in January of 2015. It's been bouncing around for two years now, but the markets have been digesting the shift in energy and all the related little fallout, what I call the trickle-down effect, along with obviously a never-ending number of media buzzkills about the next apocalypse. Digging into the data, though, is it, it pro- provides some pretty interesting and compelling generational movement as the baton continues to pass from the baby boom to Gen Y. 
The uh, confidence index for people under 35 years old, and obviously that would be the bulk, uh, anything under 31 is Gen Y, <laughs> it jumped to 132. The highest, by the way, since October of 2000. Think about that. There has never been a younger generation set to inherit as much wealth as Generation Y will. The boomers have amassed $30 trillion. Quite impressive. The largest by far amount of wealth ever created by a generation. The baby, baby excuse me, baby boom to great, but Generation Y is going to blow that out of the water 20 or 30 years from now. Here's the point. The boomers have plenty to spend, and they got plenty to pass on. If everything stopped right this moment, money would flood into the system. Since the boomers, though, are going to change retirement like they changed everything else in life, we can expect that momentum of wealth creation to continue upward with the normal bumps along the way. Let me give you some earnings stats real quick. They're going up. The forward earnings revenues, forward earnings and revenues both rose. First, revenues. Forward earnings for the next 52 weeks have risen four tenths of a percent, breaking now to a 19 month high. Think about that for a second. Collective forward profit margins edged down slightly to 10.5% from 10.6% which is little changed from its span of a 24-month low of 10.4% in late March and 10.9%, which was the record high in September of last year. Revenue growth is steady at 4.2%. Interestingly here, X Energy, the forward revenue and earnings growth rates are steady and near all-time highs at 4.4% and 8.2% respectively. Even more indicative of the transition shift, as we have stated for partners often, this earnings recession is a direct result of the energy sector fallout and the trickle-down effect into productivity, excuse me, production and industrial output. We suggest that the worst of those numbers will pass with the Q3 data this year as stated since the start of the year. Despite the collapse in energy sector forecasts since early 2015 and the negative currency translation from a stronger dollar, forward revenues and forward earnings both remain above their early 2015 lows and very, very close, I mean with a, within a percentage point, of their record all-time highs from October 2014. Hence, it's important, it's vital to understand this. Once the turn comes and the worst of the energy sector uh, comparables is behind us, the surprises are likely to be widespread. So in closing out this podcast today, I hope some of these thoughts have been helpful. I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but the reality is that each of these panic periods over time, the latest being Brexit, presents an opportunity for long-term investors. It won't end overnight, and that's fine too. Even as we speak, note the low prices earlier in the week already brought out buyers. 
There's bids for Stars and Hershey, multi-billion dollar buyouts. Already, as stocks dip in short-term panics, mountains of cash sit idle out of fear and ready to see if there's opportunity. Years from now, there's going to be a quiet review. Investors will sadly choke over the fact that they remained so deeply afraid for so long and worse at such low prices. Make no mistake, the barbell economy is significant for the United States. It is set to be long-lasting and puts us on a strong foundation for many years to come. The portfolios continue to prove same, even in volatility. So I stand by our original thoughts as we rolled past Memorial Day. Let's pray for a summer swoon and some more angst, no matter the excuse. Until we see you on the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.